Exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Imagine that. Uh, I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and subbing this week for Shag is our pal, Michael Bailey. Mike, welcome back to the show. Oh, always a pleasure to uh, to do this and to, you know, make up for the fact that Shag is once again getting off the wild turkey. Yeah, exactly. you know, he's, he's, he's yeah. You know what? I don't want to make fun of him because he's, he's having a tough time and, the, 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 you know, he's realizing he has a problem. And that's really yeah. where you start with these things. Um, <laughs> what we're here for is we are going to do uh, another installment in the show's ongoing obsession with First Issue Special, DC's weird little one-off series that they did in the mid-'70s. Uh, we've done a bunch of these before. We did Creeper, and Shag did Dr. Fate, and I've talked Starman. I love these things. So we're going to be talking about issue number 11, which is Codename Assassin. And Mike was uh, kind enough to join me on this one. This will be a lot of fun because, like most of the First Issue Specials, this thing is completely bonkers. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. But before we get to that, we must thank our sponsor, Instock Trades. InStockTrades.com is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all from to 45% off, with free shipping of four orders of $50 or more. Mike, what do you have? I have Superman Codename Patriot trade paperback, which is collects one of the sections of the new Krypton saga uh, when for a little while they, they all like, they were all on their own, but this is where they all came together for one story to kind of continue things. And right there on the cover drawn very, very attractively by Aaron Lepresti is Codename Assassin. Oh my God. <laughs> this, this thing is normally fourteen ninety nine. Never pay fourteen ninety nine for this, folks. You can go to InStock Trades and get it for eight dollars and sixty nine cents. You save forty two percent on that one. Good deal. 
Good deal. I, like I said, we'll, we'll get into it later on in the episode, but I had no idea that Codename Assassin ever made it out of first issue special. So I will be learning along with the rest of you as we talk about this character. Uh, for my uh, pick, uh, I wanted to do something uh, from Steve Skeets because he, he wrote this story, and everybody knows I love Steve Skeets. He's, he's a personal friend, and I've loved his work ever since I was a kid. And unfortunately, none of his Aquaman stuff has been collected yet, which is like, DC, get on that. Uh, but, but not yet. So I picked something else. This is Eerie Archives Hardcover Volume 10 from Dark Horse. This collects Eerie's numbers 47 through 51 from Warren Publishing. The writers are Doug Menick, Esteban Moroto, Bill Dubay, the aforementioned Steve Skeets, Al Milgram, Jack Butterworth, and John Jacobson. The artists are, again, Esteban Moroto, St. Julian, Tom Sutton, Jamie Brocal, Martin Salvador, Roman Torrance, Paul Neary, and others. The cover is by St. Julian. It's beautiful. I mean, I love this Warren stuff, and seeing it all collected like this is, is really great because these were these are great, great magazines. A lot of really cool stuff. Uh, the page count is 240. Normal price, $49.99. In-stock page price is $27.49. That is 45% off. A very, very handsome volume for not a lot of money. And uh, it features uh, a new forward by Bat and Lash. So it's a lot of really, really cool stuff. Eerie was a great book. So for this and all your other trade paperwork needs, visit InStockTrades.com. And we thank them for their support. So, so, so you're saying that Sub Diego gets a trade paperback. I but like San Diego. The, I mean, I'm, I'm not but, saying that as like yeah. a, a, a pejorative, but right. it's just like it seems like, you know, if you're going to collect Aquaman and they've been doing this thing where they're collecting a lot of the classic stuff yep. recently, why aren't you dipping into that 70s and just doing like a nice trade paperback that collects all of the, you know, like his own stuff and then his stuff in Adventure Comics? Mm-hmm. So, the, 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 the Cullen Bun Run has, was, has been collected. Yeah. <laughs> which nobody liked. I don't even think Colin Bunn liked it, and yet that's been collected. The Steve Skeet Search for Mira is the perfect trade paperback. It's a continued story. Artwork by Jim Aparo. Covers by Nick Cardi. It is... It is, it is in, in fact, DC did reprint it in Adventure Comics when it became a digest. Mm. And, they, and they reprinted it chapter by chapter. And that's where I first read a, a lot of it because, of course, you know, those books were published before I was born. So I never got a chance to read them when they first came out. So that's how I discovered it was through the Adventure Comics Digest. But that is literally the only time DC's ever reprinted it. It's amazing. And I think any Aquaman fan would love it. And so I, I'm going to assume they're going to get to it eventually with Aquaman's higher, you know, higher presence now. But, man, like every time they, they're just about to get up to it, they stop. Like, the showcases stopped just before Steve Skeets took over. <laughs> so it's just ridiculous. It's, I don't know why they have such a problem with it. But, man, if you can ever dig those issues up, it's totally worth the money. They are fantastic. They're some of my favorite Aquaman comics ever. Anyway, speaking of Steve Skeets, he and Jerry Conway, another favorite, are the writers for this issue, Codename Assassin. The artists are the Redondo Studio and Al Milgram doing the inks. The cover has a guy with a machine gun on a boat, and he's saying, we're safe. That assassin guy would have to walk on water to get us now. And guess what? There's the assassin walking on water with these very strange little like little streams of, of energy coming out of his boots. It's like, what the hell is that about? It's from First Issue Special number 11. So the story goes uh, like this. Uh, in Midtown Manhattan, three cheap hoods are having a clandestine meeting. One of them says that a guy named the Assassin is out to get him. His two pals say there's no way anyone is going to get within an inch of their hideout, not realizing that the costumed hero, I put that in quotes, known as the Assassin, is floating right outside the window. 
The assassin smashes in and takes, two out, takes out two of the goons, leaving only his main target. The guy wants to know he's, why he's being targeted like this, and the assassin simply says, Revenge. He then fires his gun at point-blank range, and we see that it's only a dart gun. Just knocks the guy out. The assassin then searches for what he's really there for. Money. He breaks into a safe housing a pile, a, um, a suitcase, a, uh, I'm sorry, no, a safe, housing a pile of cash, saying that this should help balance the ledger quite nicely. Unbeknownst to the assassin, one of the goons wakes up, grabs a gun, and fires into the man's back. This causes him to spin around and blast the guy with a bolt of mental energy, which doesn't kill the bad guy, but leaves him in a vegetative state. The next day, we find the head mobster, a disco-suited guy named Grumman, who is enraged that some of his underlings have been hit by the assassin. He demands the assassin be rubbed out immediately. One of uh, Drew's goons has a plan to fight fire with fire. Namely, that means using two super-powered baddies of their own, an alien-looking creature named the Snake and a muscle man named Powerhouse. They, de- <laughs> they demonstrate their powers when he's mopping the floor with the other mob guys. That night, the assassin makes his way back to the apartment where a doctor named Stone is waiting for him. It's here where we learn why the assassin is targeting Grumman. In a flashback, we see a brother and sister who are dealing with the sudden death of their parents. The older sister promises she will always look out for her younger brother, Jonathan. In college, Jonathan allows himself to be experimented on by Dr. Stone, who is measuring psychic output. Unfortunately, he trips on a power cable, causing the machine to explode. And the explosion is so huge, it causes all the color to drain out of the panel. This puts Jonathan in the hospital, but with telekinetic powers now. After he recovers, his sister explains to him that she works for a man named Victor Grumman. Before she can explain further, a car drives by and machine guns her to death. Jonathan gets so enraged, he sends a mental blast in the direction of the car, causing it to explode. But the goons get away. Jonathan eventually learns that his sister worked for the mobster Grumman to help put her brother through college. When she became a security risk, she was rubbed out. Over time, he developed his powers, took on the costume and identity of the assassin to kill Grumman. The assassin heads back out and makes his way to Grumman's yacht. Waiting for him are the snake and powerhouse. Instead of escaping, the assassin just says, I have a feeling this is a fight we're all going to enjoy. To be continued, not. So that is, that is the one sole issue of Codename Assassin uh, in First Issue Special. Mike, what do you think of this story? Uh, I like the Mike Grow cover. Um, <laughs> okay. It's goofy. But it's Mike Grell, so I automatically kind of have to like it because it's Mike Grell. No, it's just a, a friend of mine, actually. I, I posted a picture of several things I'm going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks, podcasting-wise. And uh, one, of my ol- one of my oldest friends down here saw the codename Assassin and said, Oh, Lord, <laughs> really? <laughs> but um, I, I think that this should have been a Glenn A. Larson production. <laughs> uh, it it really feels like a seventies pilot for oh, it a TV absolutely series does. that yes. never went anywhere. But in fact, because of that, I found myself not being too critical of it. I mean, it's goofy, so right there, I'm getting my my money's worth of of reading it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like my only big problem with it is it's kind of like Lady Cop uh, now, in a way carefully. where trade carefully there, Mike. Where you get to the end of the story and it's just like, someday I'm going to find my parents' killer. It's just like, <laughs> it's true, wait yeah. a second. I thought that was all, okay, that's fine. You're, you're never going to do that, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> so, like, it, it felt like this needed, like, three or four more pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having said that, the art is great. Um, it's, like, it's 
almost on the level of like uh, a Perez or something like that, but it, there's some stiffness to it. But at the same time, it's really lively. Like his costume design, a little bit goofy, but it looks kind of cool too. And, you know, the, the studio, which I believe was a Filipino studio, mm-hmm. uh, where DC had a lot of artists working for them in the 70s and 80s, you know, it, 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 it kind of shows because it has, I'm trying to figure out how to, I've been trying to figure out how to say this all day. This doesn't have an American comics feel. Hmm. Interesting. If, if that makes any sense. Like, it almost does. But you can tell, like, from certain costume designs, like, Powerhouse and the Snake are just, like, what is Powerhouse wearing? (laughs) He's got a weightlifter's belt, he's got construction boots, but then he's got this orange... It's like, he he wanted to start the Flash Gordon fan club, (laughs) and it just never worked out for him, so... (laughs) And Snake has no costume at all. He's just this lizard-type creature, painted kind of like a muddy brown it's very very they're both very strange designs the other thing that really stood out is that it is a very inorganic way of telling an origin because usually you know especially in the 60s and 70s when you got when you introduced the character you got like from dna until they put on the costume on the first few pages but here we get to see this whole thing of him fighting these mobsters and then the mobsters sent, you know, sending these villains after him. And it's only then that we find out, you know, that Jan Michael Vincent, once he takes off his, uh, <laughs> his mask, you know, it, he, you know, this is where we find out his origin. And it's, I mean, it's a cliched origin. His parents are dead. His sister takes care of him. There's an experiment. Science happens awry. And, you know, you could almost like see like, on a totally non-widescreen way of, of, of him in the hospital bed and, and, the, and the glass floating. And then as soon as his sister showed up, I'm like, she's dead. She is so dead. But I was shocked at how fast they killed her. Like, before she could even really explain it, it's just like, I've got to tell you something. Oh, God! <laughs> and then, uh, you know, we have the, the shot of with the, the one single tear uh, so either his sister just died or they threw a bunch of trash right in front of him. <laughs> That's right. Um, and, and, you know, he's, he's got like really undescribable powers. Like I, the, it's the, the telekinetic. Power set is baffling. Yeah. <laughs> just I am so like, like, okay. So he's telekinetic and he can float because of that, but he's, he has to rest because it doesn't. <laughs> you know, last all that long and he can cut himself and heal that energy or heal the wounds. Cause he, he like crushes a glass and then, you know, they, they kind of try to show that his hands cut up, but it's, it's the coloring's kind of muddy. So it really doesn't come off, but then his hands healed and you have the doctor going, I think there's something wrong with you. And then we get to the, you know, the, where you think is going to be the big fight. And no, yeah. it just ends. <laughs> just stops like like at least stan lee and jack kirby had the decency to throw another page in there with some like hastily drawn pictures and some expository dialogue explaining what was going on for a story that they didn't know if they were going to get a second issue 
why would you end it like this? Is this like, right. like was, was Jerry Conway being kind of chancy? Like, cause this is almost like right after he got to DC in the seventies. So right. this is one of, uh, some of his earlier work for the company. Right. And they had an extra page cause there is the story behind the story letter column. Uh, so, I mean, if they wanted to get rid of that and give the story an extra page to breathe, they could have done that. They chose to talk about, if you like Codename Assassin, please let us know and we'll tell you the rest of the story. Uh, there's a little ad for a future issues of First Issue Special. It mentions Starman, it mentions New Gods, and it mentions a book-length novel of Green Arrow and Black Canary, which Woo-hoo! I don't know if that ever got published anywhere. I, I hope it did for Ryan Daly's sake. But uh, yeah, the, the structure of this is such. And you mentioned like he can he can levitate. He can't. He doesn't fly. He sort of like runs in place in the air, <laughs> which is always giving you these weird trails. It's sort of really baffling. And then there's this great little moment here where he where he breaks into the safe to get the money, and he talks about. He says, uh, "I'll have to resort to cruder because he says." Uh, uh, if I hadn't exhausted my telekinesis for the time being arranged, uh, arriving through the window, opening the safe would be a cinch. As it is, I'll have to resort to cruder methods, such as this handy pocket blowtorch my associate designed before the mob had him killed. Asterisk. And then it says, see future issues for details. <laughs> Jerry. So it's not a footnote. It's like a future note. Like, I've never seen that before. It's like we're referencing a story that hasn't happened yet. It, 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 like I said, I don't, I don't mean I come here to praise First Issue Special, not to bury yes. it. Yeah, uh, that's why I was trying not to yeah. be too critical yeah, of no, it. Yeah, no, no, no. These things are that. incredibly goofy, and that's, to me, what makes so charming about them. Because, yeah, his power set is, makes no real sense. You, he's called the assassin. You really think he would just be like a Batman guy. You know, with all the guns and, you know, grappling hooks and all this stuff. But he's got mental energy uh, for some reason. You're like, okay. And the costume set is is kind of unusual. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Jan Michael Vincent. I sort of picture Ben Murphy myself okay. as, uh, as the assassin. But, you know, to each his own. Uh, and then, like, you know, there's the doctor that cares for him who's kind of like a Professor Martin Stein guy. Of course, this is before Firestorm. So I'm going to assume Jerry just stole that for Firestorm later on. He just stole, you know barred for himself yeah and then you then like snake and powerhouse get like two whole pages to to like display their powers while you're like wait a minute what's going on and then like i mentioned the the flashback when we get to the explosion like it's in black and white i'm like why is it in black and white i don't understand what's going on it's like so confusing you know yeah it is a it is a very very strange book and you know when it ended and it and of course it ends with with uh the assassin looking forward to the fight, which is even more bizarre. Uh, he's like, you know, we're gonna. This is gonna be a fight we're all gonna enjoy. I assumed that this was it. You know, I thought this is we're over. This is it. It's done. Assassin was one of those features that just came and went. Nobody ever saw it again. And it wasn't until I mentioned that I wanted to cover this on episode of Fire and Water, somebody mentioned to me that that no, uh, codename Assassin, in fact, did appear again, and you knew all about it. So. Unless you have something else you want to get into with this particular book, I want to hear about what happened with this character after this story. Uh, the only one th- thing I really want to mention is the ads, because there's a big Jim's pack ad in this book. <laughs> uh, and you you, 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 you got to love any kind of 70s toy line, you know, before, you know, this is before Star Wars and all that. But these are the professional agents slash crime killers. Uh, so I, I just I love the big Jim's pack ad. Uh, every time I see it in one of these old books, and did you have those toys? I never did. 
No, th- th- that was just a little before my time. Okay. Um. So, but man, when I go to Dragon Con and, and talk to guys about you know six seven years older than me, and you bring up J- Big Jim's pack, it's like you brought up the Bible. <laughs> so, uh, and there's a there's a Captain Marvel hostess ad. Yes. Uh, which yes. is always fun. But no, the thing about first issue special, and I, and it's a joke that I make that has no real bearing in reality is uh, I, I call it James Robinson's Idea Factory. <laughs> and, I, and I say that both you know, snarky, but also, you know, just, you know, making a point that he goes to this well, has gone to this well several times. Now, the Starman thing makes sense, because he was writing sure. a book called Starman, sure. so he wanted to link all those together. But uh, right around 2008... Uh, the Superman books were kind of getting back on track after a couple of years of latenesses and, and just like months where there wasn't an issue of Superman or action at all. Uh, which really? was kind of bizarre. Yeah, they, they had a lot of problems right after Infinite Crisis. Hmm. Um, some of that had to do with apparently Adam Kubert was having health issues, hmm. uh, which was keeping him from uh, going to the drawing table and this was a time period where they're like, okay, if he can't draw it, it's late. You know, there weren't any fill-ins. So, but, uh, they started this whole new Krypton storyline where Superman discovers, thanks to Brainiac, that Kandor exists and he enlarges it on earth. And it starts this whole chain of events where you start learning things like the government has a problem with Superman. And one of the characters, that was brought in was Atlas, who was part of First Issue Special. Of course. And then in the Jimmy Olsen special, uh, where James Robinson dug deep into the 70s, holy crud, like the Superman family, you know, guardian stories and stuff like that were kind of the basis of what he, you know, of what he was uh, bringing his stories. But basically, Jimmy Olsen starts investigating Cadmus and the kind of weird goings on there, he starts looking for Jim Harper or one of the clones, and this assassin is following him. And it's codename Assassin. Wow. And he's a bad guy. And he's totally hooked up with General Lane, uh, who is part of this group part of this uh uh group that basically when you take the numbers and put them on a calculator and turn them upside down, it spells hell. Um, okay. Yeah, there, there's really no, uh, you know, justifying that. But no, Codename Assassin was was one of the players in this drama, where he was, uh, you know, they, they Robinson developed this whole backstory that he had been working with the government the whole time, and he went into Cadmus and was posing as their head of security, and he ends up killing Double X and one of the Jim Harper clones. Uh, and then he's working with General Lane in this, you know, this group that is basically like, you know, Superman's bad, okay, and Kryptonians are bad, and now there's a lot of Kryptonians. So you have all of these stories kind of going on at once, and in, and especially with the, the, the Jimmy Olsen end of it, where at one point it looks like Jimmy is killed, and there's Codename Assassin. And that is actually why I bought this issue. Because I wanted to see where this character came from. I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in cultural anthropology. 
where if, if I'm reading, like, when I was coming up reading Superman, Cadmus was a big part of it, and Double X, and the Newsboy Legion. So I'm like, I'm going to read the original Jimmy uh, uh, Jack Kirby stuff that this all comes from, which is just insane comic books. <laughs> Don Rickles. <laughs> yeah, Goody Rickles. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> wow, you're dating it even back then, Jack. But <laughs> at the same time, I can't look away because it is just so amazingly crazy. And when I read this, I'm like, this has nothing to do with the codename Assassin that was in those, uh, it was in the new Krypton saga. Uh, I really wish I could tell you what his final fate was, but right two thirds of the way into new Krypton, because the thing went on for almost a year, I hit my wall with the Superman books. I'm just like, I'm not enjoying this. These people just aren't telling the stories I want. And I stopped buying the books for like nine months. So I have not gone back and read the conclusion to New Krypton, but I did a little digging around and no one mentions anything really happening to him. So what I'm assuming is that after that story was done, Codename Assassin just went back into character limbo. Aww. Um, but he was a bad guy. He was essentially, um, you know, he was a government killer. Uh, working for General Sam Lane, which is really kind of unfortunate because, you know, here, you know, he, I kind of wonder if they had Jerry develop this concept because of the Punisher. Now, the Punisher wasn't, you know, the success he became in the right. 80s yeah, 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 in right. 1976, but he was a recurring thing in Spider-Man, uh, you know, who <laughs> used mercy bullets, which, you know. Yeah going to think of goofy things but it seems like when you have a character with the name assassin you're pretty you know you're putting it out there on front street that this guy is going to kill somebody because that's what assassins do so and we don't quite get that here but we almost do i mean he pretty much took care of the people that killed his sister right and Um, when he mental blasts the one guy he turns him into a vegetable essentially so, and I wonder if originally he killed him and there's some dialogue fiddle, fiddling with the editor saying, no, 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 he's not dead. He's just a, a vegetable because that's better. <laughs> that's, much, that's much better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, that, that's an interesting theory because, I mean, all that stuff was coming up in the culture. All those those books like the Executioner and all that. And that stuff was rising. And there was the Death Wish, the first Death Wish movie had come out in 1974. And as you said, Punisher, I mean, that that was bubbling up in the culture. And so, you know, you could get more of these kinds of, you know, brutal shooter guys. And, and like you said, the assassin is more of a fanciful comic book concept with his, you know, running on air and mental blast and stuff. But, but yeah, yeah, I could, I could completely see that. It does, it does feel like, I mean, it doesn't bother me that they reused the codename Assassin for something else because, I mean, nobody really has any attachment to this character. And it, <laughs> But it, it, it does – I mean, it, to me, that is one of sort of the charms of, like, superhero comics is that nothing's ever really thrown away and, like, that this guy continued to live on and you just didn't see his life. And then he repurposes. Like, that's really fun. That's what I loved about, like, Crisis, these characters showing up. And, you know, and so that's – it. it I, I wish he wasn't a villain. Like, that part makes me, like, a little sad. But I, I'm also happy to see him again. And it makes me want to dig out that comic book just to see him. It, it's it's interesting because, you know, I, I think you and I are pretty much on board with this, is that there, there's always an obscure character that is somebody's favorite. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I love Iron Monroe. 
<laughs> okay. Like, I, I love that character for who he was in Young All-Stars, and I love his background and who he represents. So when, during the Grounded storyline in Superman, when Chris Roberson made him a part of the book, because he was the hero that Clark looked up to, I was just like, that makes me so happy. And I, I actually emailed Chris just to say, look, I am so glad you're using Iron Monroe. And I know that sounds crazy when you say it out loud because he is kind of an obscure character. But James Robinson seems to have this love for 70s DC mm -hmm. uh, that I, I admire because I get that. Unfortunately, it was during a, a time period where all of his work from DC was pretty dire. And I'm not saying that in terms of quality. I'm just saying he wrote uh, some some dark stories. I mean, he did that Cry for Justice story. Oh, yeah. Where Roy's arm is burned off. Yeah. And, you know, Green Arrow ends up killing Prometheus. And I think that's when Leanne, Roy's daughter, was killed. Hmm. So it's just like, you know, why are you... I mean, I, I'm okay with dark. And, and you know, because when I think of the comics of my youth... I mean, one of the formative books I, I read was when Superman killed three Kryptonian villains. <laughs> so, so it's a bit hypocritical to say, why is all this dark, you know, grimdark, grimdark happening? But at the same time, it seemed for James Robin especially, like most of the stuff he was doing is like, hey, you remember all that really cool stuff? Here's how evil it was. <laughs> and it's just like, huh? Except Monel, who spent most of his time drinking coffee. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's sort of the, the theme behind the that Silver Age miniseries, which was, you know, everything was sort of bright and cheery, and then behind it was all this, you know, nefarious goings-on with the communists and the, you know, the Joe McCarthy and all this stuff. So, yeah, he was kind of in a, he was in a, maybe in a bad place when he wrote all that stuff. <laughs> uh, one, one, one of my friends uh, theorizes that there's like a dark half thing going on. Interesting. Uh, okay. All right. Yeah. So uh, may maybe maybe there was like this voice telling him to to write these things, and you know Timothy Hutton plays him in the movie. There you go. Uh, yeah. I mean, th there's no reason why um, Codename Assassin can't come back now. I mean, they you know they still have still own him. I think they'd probably have to get rid of the him running in midair thing that just looks so incredibly goofy. But uh, but still, it's a lot of fun, and it, it it fits in quite well with the first in, first issue special aesthetic of just crazy concepts thrown together, almost too much jammed into a seventeen page story. Sometimes it works, Lady Cop. Other times it doesn't work as well. This one is sort of right in the middle of that. It's it's a very it's a whole bunch of silliness and too many things you know thrown in. But what the hell? It's still a lot of fun, and uh, it's always worth talking about because again, it's first issue special, which is you know, near and dear to my heart. It's it's one of those things that was before my time, but I look at and, and I'm like, I want all of these, right? Because right. you know, you know, anything that has the dingbats of danger. Oh streets, yeah, just you know, it could be the dumbest thing ever, but they put that out. Yep. Like like DC was really trying to be experimental at this point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, more so, I would say than Marvel, really, when you compare the two, because Marvel. To me, their '70s work has a real homogenized feeling, unless mm -hmm. Steve Gerber is writing it and, and you know poking the man, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, but DC, when you look at, especially like 1976, when Jeanette Kahn comes on as publisher and she brings Jerry Conway over, it's kind of like. And Shag has made this um, comparison, and I and I hate to you know 
point that Chad had like a, a brilliant thought here. He probably stole it from somebody. But, you know, Jerry Conway was really the Jeff Johns of the 70s and 80s. Oh, that's, that's absolutely true. Yeah. He, he was the idea guy. And he mm-hmm. brought, you know, he brought this new and fresh take to DC and you started popping things like first issue special and, you know, the, re, you know, the revival of the, you know, the JSA. But then you had things like Wanted, which was a reprint book, but it's still, it's like, here's how all of our villains and their origins. Right. And I'm just, I look at all of this stuff. Whenever I go to like to Mike's Amazing World of Comics and look at these months, I'm like, I want that one. I want that one. I want that one. <laughs> they gave Man Bat his own book for Pete's sake. Yeah, I mean, Joker ran for like nine issues. Yeah, the Joker had his own. Yeah, Cobra. So, uh, the, the, uh, you know, they gave a brand new villain a book. So, I mean, it's just, and it's why I can't be hard on this issue or yes. Atlas or any of the other first issue specials I've re- read because. The sheer joy I get from looking through them and looking at, like, the artifacts of the age. I mean, there's, like, a two-page thing for treasury editions in this. Ah, uh, yes. And uh, an ad for the amazing world of DC Comics. Oh, which, yeah. Man, you try, buy, try buying those today, you better hock a kidney because yeah. they are yep. worth some money. Yeah. You know? yep, but yep, yep, yep. it's just, like, everything about this is just, like, yep, this is when DC started coming back. And really started trying to be, you know, the what I think DC does best is they will always fall back when they're at their best on their characters. You know, you know, it's it's not about the flashy artist. It's not about the flashy writer. It's about how we have like some of the best characters in comics. Why aren't we utilizing them better? And why aren't we coming up with new concepts? So, you know, you, you have Codename Assassin, which, you know. If I had looked at this book before 2009, I would have been like, oh, it looks like kind of goofy, and I would have put it back. But afterwards, I'm like, no, nope, I'm getting that. And <laughs> uh, there's that Dr. Fate first issue special. Oh, the group, ooh, best Star Dr. Man. Fate story ever done. Yeah. <laughs> so, I no, it's, it's like when when you threw up the flag saying, hey, does anybody want to talk about first issue special? I'm just like the kid in the back. I'm like, oh, 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 Mr. Carter, oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's something to be said that as soon as I did that on Facebook, I had every issue spoken for within, I think, an hour or two after I posted it. And then I posted it like on a Saturday afternoon when everyone should have been outside doing more important things. <laughs> I was at but work. Everybody so. was like, oh, I want that. You wouldn't believe how many people asked for dingbats of Danger Street. That was <laughs> ridiculous. So. I think that speaks for the crew. We, uh, we The circles yeah, crew, Yeah, the circle. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's for, yeah, I agree with all that. First issue special is sort of the joy of just goofy comics, and that's why I love it so much and that's why we are going to spend uh the you know more episodes of the show talking about this great little series and maybe i'll bundle them together in a trade paperback or something like that, or whatever the audio equivalent of that is so uh i think that's going to do it for codename assassin i think he's i think that's that's we know anything else we want to say about him uh i i really want dusty or sky because apparently <laughs> both are knockouts so <laughs> You know, it's they. Yeah, they were dolls, and we weren't allowed to play with dolls. But you know what? The Migos were dolls too. They just want to call them that. Yeah, no doubt. So, yeah, yeah. So anyway, Michael, thank you so much. I called you Michael. I don't know why I got so formal all of a sudden. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Uh, where can people find you on the internets? Well, I have uh, managed to, through the course of this year, if this uh, comes out in 2016, to actually be very uh, regular with views from the long box. That's true. Yeah. 
there was only one week where there wasn't an episode, and then there was one week when, in seven days, I put out four. Yeah, so, I was like, wait, well, all of a sudden I'm way behind on these episodes. What happened? <laughs> um, it's because I couldn't read a calendar, okay. and certain things had to hit at certain times. But uh, no, uh, views from Longbox, views from Longbox dot com. Uh, I have uh, I talk about all the comics that I just want to talk about at that time. There is no real rhyme or reason. I have a couple. I'm trying to develop a couple like regular features, uh, but even those won't be like every week or every month. It'll be like, hey, when I want to pick this up, I can pick it up again. Uh, and it's really about me, you know. Has been over the last nine years now. Wow. Me uh, coming to terms with my own comic book fandom, and now I'm on the other side and much happier. So. Good. So I think the episodes kind of reflect that. And you are going to be part of something big that's coming at the end of the summer, uh, which I'm really looking forward to uh, putting together. I think I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you can also hear me every Tuesday night at 1030 Eastern Standard Time over on the Superman homepage. Steve Eunice, who's been running that page for 20 years now. Uh, and I wow. do radio K A L. Yeah. Think about that. Uh, <laughs> I was doing the math in my head. I'm like, wait a minute. What? <laughs> okay. It started out as a homepage in 1994. It was like Al Gore and Steve Eunice. Those were the guys. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, he and I do radio K A L live where it's actually a live call in show about Superman. Uh, and we talk about the latest. Uh, thankfully, I don't really have to talk about Batman v Superman anymore. <laughs> um, because, my God, especially towards the end there, that's all we were talking about. Uh, and uh, every once in a while, when we can get to it, uh, Jeffrey Taylor and I do From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which we really want to get back to. But our schedules are just not really meeting up. Uh, and if you want to hear old stuff, uh, go over to Two True Freaks and listen to Tales of the JSA and Comics Monthly Monday. Very cool. Thanks, everybody. Uh, as always, you can contact our show over at the website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. Use the contact page or, of course, the individual show threads. You can find me over at aquamantrine.net and Shag over at Firestorm Fan. So, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. I, I really uh, appreciate that uh, the nice response we've been getting for these first issue specials, and I'm really um, determined to finish off the series. I think we're about halfway done at this point. We still have some really good ones to get to. The aforementioned Dingbats of Danger Street and The Outsiders, which is even more bonkers than than a, pretty much any of the other books. So there's a lot of more fun fun for this issue, special stuff to have. So again, Mike, thanks for doing the show. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next week, fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even towards their hair. They stand for truth and justice and see a land in there. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah. The Glenn Lawson Production.